My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome to Transmissions. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury. I once wrote that speaking with Mark Stewart of the pop group was like drinking from a fire hose. He's a fount of riffy conversation and outsider insight. So I figured for this podcast conversation with him, why not add a couple other voices into the mix too? This week, Mark joins us as well as his longtime friends and collaborators, Stephen Malander of Cabaret Voltaire and Eric Random an ex-Buzzcock and one-time Nico sideman, as well as a longtime solo artist himself. It was actually Mark's idea to convene this post-punk roundtable, and I was really, really into it. On his latest album, Versus, the three of these guys team up for Cast No Shadow, a song that was made in response to the Simon Reynolds book, Rip It Up and Start Again, post-punk 1978 through 1984, and the forthcoming documentary film of the same name. How did post-punk hit their respective places? That was sort of the idea there. What role does regionalism play in music's development? These three join us to discuss it and deconstruct a bunch of ideas, and we talk about a lot of stuff along the way, uh, about the influence of the Velvet Underground, about German cosmic music, Uh, we talk a little bit about black magic, and a lot more. It was a wild conversation, and I'm really excited to share it with you today. Before we get into the talk, though, I do want to take a minute to thank you for listening to Transmissions. It means a lot to us. We love making this show for you week after week, and it means a lot to have your attention. Uh, If you dig what we're doing, if you you like what, what, what Transmissions is all about, you can support the show by checking out Aquarium Drunkard's Patreon where people like you help us keep Aquarium Drunkard rolling along. Uh, if you, can, you can head over to Aquarium Drunkard right now and you're going to find interviews and mixtapes and lanyap sessions where we feature interesting artists covering all sorts of music that inspires them. Uh, we've got the radio shows. We've got the AD Picture Show, which is an audio-visual Uh, representation of the site there's so much for you to check out over at aquarium drunkard and uh, by pledging over on our patreon page that helps us uh, keep making it your support enables the servers to continue humming and helps the good shit make its way from our stereo systems to yours all right that plug is over Uh, we're going to get into my freewheeling and frankly unruly chat with Mark Stewart, Eric Random, and Stephen Malander. Thanks so much for listening to Transmissions. Uh, here's our conversation. I'll speak with you a little bit more on the other side.
Am I on the right thing? Is this a, is this a Barbara Woodhouse podcast? Is this gorilla gorilla <laughs> gorilla animal keeping or something? Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Now this is this is a this is a cooking show. We thought he was going to share. <laughs> He's taking over again. That's what happens. They come down from up north and try and take try and take over. <laughs> well, thank you guys for taking the time. Uh... Oh, look at him showing off all his records. I'm going to turn off. I'm going to. I can't even compete. What's going on behind you, dude? I bet there's nothing. It's all it's all car boot stuff. It's all MFP things. It's yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's um. I got them all for free. No, I'm just kidding. I paid for most. I'd of hide. Them. I'd hide the Genesis records, especially if me and Mally are coming round. Honestly. Oh, I do have some Genesis records in the mix. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My punk never happened. Let alone post punk. Yeah, yeah, that's you shave. You just shave a line down the middle of your forehead, down the middle of your hair, like Peter Gabriel did. That's a, that's a good look. Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure you guys have heard genre is a thing of the past. You guys help erase it. Is that is that Jean Michel genre? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anybody who married the bird from the night port is all right by me. Yeah, well, his, dad, his dad could write a tune as well. Is that's that, good. Oh right, was he a, was he a soundtrack guy? His dad. Dad was Maurice. Yeah. His, his dad was Maurice Sharu. Did like all the all the David Lean films. He did like oh, wow. Lawrence of Arabia and Doctor Zhivago. That's that's um, Jean Michel's old man. Yeah, wicked. He did everything. There you yeah. go. Have you ever done these soundtracks, <laughs> Mally? Apart from that, your films, those Johnny Yes knows right where they were. Have you have you ever done these soundtracks? We did. We did the thing for the. Um, we did that thing for uh, the film. F, you know the the film thing BFI, where we did a live soundtrack for a a film that was never made called The Tourist, and we toured. You saw it, didn't you? Saw it, didn't you, Eric? Yeah. So it was kind of an unofficial soundtrack. But apart from that, no one ever asked. But be quite honest everybody i know who does soundtracks goes oh it's a fucking pain in the ass because you have to work with directors and producers who don't understand music and they get in touch and go oh it sounds really good but could you make it sound a bit more yellow and they go <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean different he's got a yellow t-shirt don't take the piss of the house <laughs> i got told off last week i said some bloke had a pubic beard oh no i hope i don't uh i hope i qualify for that too that i think that, can we play cold play yellow now then please <laughs> the good sake of it. there right. you go can i make my charity announcement for pugs are we recording by the way we're recording <laughs> We're rolling. We're rolling. This has Good, been. This... I was going to say because this is your podcast. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Yeah. This is your life, Stephen Malander. This is your life. <laughs> it, well, went really, it went past really quick, then, Mark. After that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to get out of the way and let you guys handle this. Uh, <laughs> but I know I I, I want to thank you guys all for taking the time to to hop on and uh, and discuss. No apologies needed for the two fuck-ups, mate. It's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to track you. The drones are, the, the drones are moving in on you as we oh speak. Oh, no. I'm about to get taken out. <laughs> I've had a drone around the house all morning. Don't talk about the wife like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I want to I want to thank you guys. Drones days, I've heard. <laughs> well, so... Sorry, no, mate. no, no. So I think well, I want. Do you speak English? Do you speak English a little bit? Or can you sign, please? <laughs> I, what I wanted to say, <laughs> what we what we could start with was, um, 
obviously the three of you on on the new record mark's latest record versus uh cast no shadow um i wanted to talk a little bit about that specific song and how it relates to the simon reynolds book rip it up and start again and then the forthcoming well, documentary that was, that was that was that was kind of my basically all i've learned from um the strangest thing is that because of work that Mally and Richard and like and and like TG and stuff did back in the day, this thing evolved called industrial, which I don't really understand the name of, right? But um, my friend Vale from Rough Trade San Francisco put out this this man called this thing called the Industrial Handbook, which was a research magazine printed it, and from that, as far as I can see, cyberpunk developed. If you ask William Gibson and people like that, and from cyberpunk. This thing, which I call is cypherpunk developed, right? Who were the guys who invented WhatsApp or the kind of blockchain decentralized? And basically, they're kind of crypto anarchists, right? And a very famous anarchist writer, Scott Crow, approached me during the first lockdown and was talking to me about something or other. And I just said, let me do some kind of duets or a three-way, as, as I said to Mally on the train once, um just just for the hell of it with like with like people i've always wanted to work with right but the interesting thing is yeah. that i'm just learning how to how how to ride a white swan as mark boland would say but how to kind of work inside the inside the ecosphere of the what i still call the internet but basically kind of tagging things together and kind of claiming a theme song for a film that hasn't been made, like Mally said, it's, it all kind of works together. And these American directors were making the ultimate film on post-punk. And I just said, well, you, you should definitely talk to Mally, you should talk to Jarwobble, like people that I knew on, on, on my travels. And I just said to them, why don't, we, why don't we put both the things on the same arrow and use the trailer for your film as the kind of video for, for our collaboration, kind of inspired by Kevin Costner in that Robin Hood film, Prince of Thieves. What, how so? <laughs> Welcome to the world. Hello. Welcome to the world with Mark Stewart. There he is. There's Kevin Costa. See what I'm saying? <laughs> I, Jason, you have to understand we've known Mark for years. And so it' a bit like him saying you've got a ride of rice. You've got to clasp onto Mark's coattails here and just go for the ride. <laughs> Kevin Costa will make sense by the end of this. But yeah. Okay, excellent. Well excellent. Said, Mark, it was... It was it, it, it's it's an interesting juxtaposition of all these people and all this stuff, and we are just learning to work out how to kind of, you know, kind of work together in a weirdly fractured yeah. world, and that's what we're doing. And this is a great way of doing it, and also... Which we used to do when we were kids, you know. Yeah. And also... And the whole thing... There's a fanzine kind of culture to all this. It's still very DIY and make and do and all that. And and doing it, doing this kind of thing with all of us in three different parts of the country, and Mark working with people in different parts of the world, it's Sorry. there's a kind of like there's a kind of there's a kind of lovely fabric that goes on with this. It's like it's kind of like everyone, like you know, sewing all these bits together. So I think that that's why I was really glad to be involved. Very 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 happy and excited to see see all this come together. 
Eric, we right before the other the other uh, folks hopped on, we talked a little bit about how you had performed a version of this song a few years ago on the radio. Um, yeah. How did you enjoy the process of sort of, I guess, remote collaboration would be the term that people would use because you're all in different places and you're assembling things in a sort of uh, a disparate zones but you know it all comes together in a really fascinating and interesting way how did you sort of enjoy that process and was that was that new or or pretty familiar for you uh i mean the, it was done it was actually put together in lockdown so it was extremely remote you know yeah. and we were everything by, uh, by email so uh it was it, it proved a little but things had to go back and forth and that just get, to get it right but uh you know working with Matt, and Mark is what is what I've always you know, I've always enjoyed being a musician for is, is collaborations with people, you know, and that, that was why I, you know that was the main reason I did it in the eighties. It wasn't for you know playing him as a, to become a pop star or anything like that. It was uh, mainly just to get to work with my peers and get their appreciation. Really, is yeah. Well, one of the things that strikes me l looking over all of your combined work it is it seems like none of you are particularly nostalgic people. You're not stuck in the past or drawing on what you did in the 80s or the 70s, you know? Um, yeah, I think so, a little too much goes on, really, especially here in Manchester a lot, you know, well, especially, you know, <laughs> you know, you're not factory that don't exist basically here anymore, it seems, but. Yeah. Well, yeah, and in the in the trailer for the for the Rip It Up film, Mark, you you say something about like revisionist history and how you want to set the record straight. I mean, do people misunderstand what what do people misunderstand or uh, assign to led the post punk era that you wish you could, could you clear hear up? Me? Yeah, I can hear you. Right. Um. Basically, my dream of this round table was trying to get, because the kind of, the, the ultimate selling point of, of that versus thing that I've just put out is like post-punk then and post-punk now, mm -hmm. right? And post-punk now, for me, like I'm saying, is this kind of new world, this decentralized kind of pirate chain world that we kind of helped invent. You know, we kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, I know the cabs were into like Ballard and Burroughs and stuff like we were, you know, we kind of learned stuff, spewed stuff out that we knew, kept going and searching. And now there's a, it's like we've landed on Mars and there's, there's new things to be done. And I'm just like what Mally was saying about, about fancy and cut and paste culture. I'm just as excited about finding three chords in these autonomous tokens on the blockchain as I was about getting a guitar, mm. you know? So what I was trying to, the reason I was trying to convene this round table was to work out how punk and then post-punk hit our three different cities. Sure. Because I found, I find that very, very interesting because in Bristol, right, what, what, what happened was there was a real collision, like Brit, Bristol's small enough that we, there weren't really any ghettos. It was never divided. So even at the football, you'd have like a Sikh kid, a black kid, you know, a Pakistani girl. It didn't really matter, gender, class or colour, right? But 
Off, because we all mixed during punk, like Miles, who set up Massive Attack with, at like a Mohican and stuff. And and he and later on in the World Bunch, he used to play Cabaret Voltaire. And it's, there's all these kind of weird kind of... Cross-up. There's all these kind of weird knitting together, you know. And I I, I, I was chatting to Carl Craig and, and they're all over. like You know, that Sensoria track, the way the influence that had in the black scene. Right. On people like Hank Shockley and people I work with, right? And these weird kind of interconnections. And then we feed something back into something else and something else feeds us. And it's continuing round and round and round. And what I really like on Eric's work at the moment, and he came out on some pop group shows with us, is he's kind of, he's seizing the machines like Richard Kirk used to do, right? Or Daniel Miller used to do and kind of taking them off somewhere else and... There isn't really, I don't know, there isn't, you know, I don't believe in history. I, for me, you know, my dad was a sort of quantum physicist. It's, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a circle. It's not linear. Sure, right? sure, sure. Yeah, well, that... So, well, I'm quite interested in, I was, I was watching, there's a little documentary about Eric that was on about, it looked like Manchester, and we, the pop group were up in Manchester more than we were anywhere else, because Tony Wilson took us under his wing, right? And Eric, because and Eric was friends with Joy Division and stuff. And I remember bumping into Eric and Ian and that lot at some leather nun gig up in London. Yeah, blah blah blah. Final solution thing that the the, the cabs played as well. But what I what, what so Eric in Manchester, for example, how did punk stop being slower in the dogs? Well, it it became commercialized. Really, I mean, my, my, my no, I mean, how did it? How did it change? How did it change into post punk? sort of thing well that i think well, that's a lot of people got disillusioned by by punk basically right of, i mean my own personal experience was through groups like buzzcocks and so i saw quite a lot of the the bigger punk groups that were you know originated as punk groups and uh they, they sort of basically it just became like power pop bands and stuff like that yeah yeah and and uh I think people were expecting something else. You know, when punk was first generated, they expected it to be yeah. somewhere else. Well, that's why we formed that? That's what we. That's what we decided to do with the pop group because the punk punk was it was like pub rock with just without flares. Yeah. You know, it was really weird. Sure. You know what's funny? It's really funny. I was thinking, and as you were talking about all the wild bunch and that uh, and everything, Mark. Bristol's probably a bit like Sheffield. Sheffield didn't, I mean, we say punk and post-punk, but Sheffield's, Sheffield's punk was post We didn't have any punk bands. We had one punk yeah. band called 2.3 who we shared yeah. a rehearsal room with. Uh, and our drummer, who pl he played on the first two albums, Aiden, and Eric knows this, and, 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 and Paul was the bass player. We didn't have any punk bands. Punk happened elsewhere and came to town, and we, we kind of, it was something we watched rather than something we did. So the mm. bands that came out okay. of it were, we didn't have a history of rock. There was no bands from Sheffield apart from Joe Cocker and Dave Berry. So we skipped all that, and there wasn't really much of a. There was pub rock, as Mark said, or or no, or working men's clubs. But we didn't have a. We didn't have a guitar. It wasn't like we had to wait for punk to die down for us to happen. We just happened because there was the space was there because there was no punk shit going. On. But you, what what date what date did you lot start, Mally? Because I remember talking to I spoke to Richard one year, and I said, "What have you been up to?" And he said, for the last year, I've been c 
collating 1974 or something. Yeah. Said an early year. What year did you guys start? We started about 73, 73, 74. It gradually hmm. got more serious. I mean, we did we did the first gig in 75, first gigs around 1975, and you know that's when we started. But we'd been we'd been up in Chris's attic making music for a good 18 months, two years before we did any of that. So around 73, 74, and it just, inc- it, we, we went like, oh, we want to be a band, so we're going to do this. We just used to fuck around with sound for a good year, really. And then it was like... But what were you wearing then? Did you have like, what were you wearing? And oh. <laughs> were you like Roxy music? I mean, what was the style? Wait, were you like nerdy? Have you ever seen these some great photos? I'm going to send you a photo with me. I've got a tie. We, I've actually got a tie on for the first time, probably one and only time, apart from a school, I wore a tie. But it, we were dressed in black and we had, I, we we look fucking great. Right. It's all been first. I don't believe him. Honestly, compare. Do not believe his. <laughs> we, we look fucking great, actually. Winkle pickers and all that. Because we, well, in that early time, we were kind of going down to London not to sit in, in the early 70s to buy clothes to go, you know, to yeah. go down to King's Road to go and see, you know, Too Fast to Live, you know. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a funny thing. Tommy Roberts, Tommy used to, the style thing was part of it because music wasn't like, we, apart from Roxy doing stuff and, you know, it wasn't like, oh, there's a band I want to be like. It was like, nah. We we look cool and we would just wanted to make weird recordings with tape recorders. We were just into it as art. <laughs> We didn't kind of put the two together as this is who we are and what we look like. We were just kind of like, that's what we were sort of thing. And we made music. So it wasn't like there was no look or style or kind of band aesthetic we ever had. And we only ever did a gig in 75 because Chris was working with this guy and he, and he was running uh, Friends of the Earth or something. He said, can you do it? He just said to Chris, Chris, you, you're in a band, aren't you? And Chris went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, what can you play? And Chris went, oh, everything, anything. And he went, can you do disco? And Chris went, yeah, oh, yeah, we can do disco. And that's when this, that's when we did the first gig and, and the and the audience ran on the stage and threw me off and I ended up in hospital. So we, you know, we we weren't we weren't a band like that. In fact, the, the first gig we did was designed purely as Oh, no, it's a fucking band. Sorry, I'm swearing there, but not as a band. No, it's 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 okay. Swearing is allowed on on this show, so you're okay. all f- feel free to swear as much as possible. I do want. I do. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I do. I do want to. I do want to drill down though, because well, first off, uh, Eric, when you used to go see pop group shows with with Ian Curtis, what what did you guys think the first time you saw a pop group gig? Um, I can't really remember the first gig, but I remember the first time I heard uh, Why, the album. And that, I mean, that was like it just a game changer, really, for me, because, uh, you know, it was and, and, and the first time I saw uh, Cabaret Voltaire as well, uh, a Buzzcocks gig in London. Yeah. Both events were like, you know, eye-openers to me that there was going on that was more akin to what the way I was thinking, you know, rather than writing verse, chorus, pop songs and, you know, pleasing the uh, big records. It was doing something that they wanted to do. You know? Well, and I'm really drawn to this idea that um, at, this a- at this stage, you know, although all three of you were involved in different sounding groups, mm. you were all drawing from... Um, there was a spirit of almost like 
anti anti rock or anti fashion or anti genre that I think in a in a weird way Mark, when I interviewed you for Aquarium Drunkard in 2016, you said something akin to the to the to the statement that taste is a form of personal censorship. Um, when we talk about streaming services, which are the primary way that people engage with music, and we talk about algorithms, I wonder if right now um, people's sense of musical agency and interest is being mediated by those algorithms. I mean... Well, that's the... Can I speak? Oh, please. <laughs> that's the interesting thing. And that's why I really wanted... To, that's why Scott Crow at Emergency Hearts really got me interested. Because the first thing he said to me, he said, Mark, I want to play the robots. Mm. Right? Right. As far as I can see, and as far as what we're learning from, like tagging, and and there's a um, there's a whole new terrain out there which hasn't really been developed, right? And as the blockchain gets more and more kind of decentralized, even that move that that Musk is doing on Twitter, it isn't it it hasn't been if something hasn't really been invented yet, it's not under control. So I find it all quite exciting if we actually roll up our sleeves and make it our space and invent it as the future's ours really for the futures what well, somebody yesterday earlier was talking to me about white mice google white mice do you know that no sort of untainted minds that they use as futurologists are bound by normal concepts which all three of us i think are good at right yeah do you know what i'm saying so i see it like i mean manny used the term performance art also what's the what's the term that we use a, pro a provocation you know <laughs> and the thing isn't the thing isn't you know we've got as much right to kind of go in there and set things up and all these crypto anarchists who invent virtually inventing like whatsapp signal and the thing you know the thing is mutating all the time so we're not you know some crappy company will say oh we own this or we're tastemakers or we do that but it's not it's not Scott's saying all the time, the people he's talking to, who's supposedly cutting-edge business people, have got no idea. And he's kind of pushing forward and suggesting things. All I noticed were, like, all these rappers would have, like, four or five collaborators on their name, like, four or five names. And that is a way of pulling in all the names and all the sort of fan bases and people. It's really weird. How I mean, I can't really explain it unless I go into some sort of semiotics theory, which isn't really that, sure. you know, it's... it's 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 i think it's really really interesting and as i'm saying it's i mean you know eric was was kind of more in the shadows but in the public space it's ideas that us and cabaret voltaire got from people like burroughs and ballard and man ray and and the, and the italian futurists or whatever and threw into like our whatever we were doing which i don't really see as music which is which other kind of like Mark Pauline survival research, other kind of artists, and then these cypherpunks picked up on it, and they are inventing the future. When you saw that the kid who was running Cambridge Analytica, he was like a Nine Inch Nails fan. Excuse me. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? All these people who think they're in control are like medieval sort of <laughs> people from Dungeons and Dragons. They've got no idea how this shit works. And yeah. I suppose the other... We own it, dude. We own it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you you know, you asked the question mark about why the three of us in some ways making different kinds of music. But, I mean, 
even though we come from the same space and really it's because music is just a, it's just a form it's just the content bit of it and it, it couldn't be anything really there is no such kind of it's just about attitude and interest and it's yeah. about it's about being inquisitive it's about not trusting it's about exploring it's looking alternatives it's like it's just we're we're three people with inquisitive still with inquisitive minds and how we make music is kind of secondary it's about it's about how how we're wired just as you know we've all been the same eric and i have been friends for fucking oh shit 40 odd years now right do you know is how i'm not included in that (laughs) (laughs) mark and i have been friends for 40 odd years as well Thank we, you for clarifying. Yes. Yeah, but no. <laughs> yes. But, I, but yes. no. I, what I was going to say is, no, it wasn't that. It was like, but we see each other all the time, you know. So we, uh, Eric and I, so we kind of know what's going on. Uh, again, again. But, well, that's because you <laughs> fucking live in Bristol, don't you? That's whatever, whatever. But, whatever. but we take it. Anyway. But we do. Mark will attest to this. We take every opportunity to hook up, and you know, I play. I've been DJ, you know, playing with the pop group and all this kind of DJ with the pop group, and it's so we do. So we're still there, and I love the fact that. We can still come on this and each talk and know exactly that the other one is coming from the right space and still, you know, we're not going to shut any, each of anyone down because we've got fucking wonky ideas or we haven't taken any interest. So we still take interest in all that shit that's going out. And the internet is obviously just a new medium thing that we that's fascinating for all of us as well. But I, yeah, I, I, I have no Mark, Mark Stewart for over 40 years. <laughs> I've changed. I've got a new stage name. I'm Joe Bryas now. Anyway. <laughs> oh, don't know you. Hey, Transmissions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun, and uh, here's the important part. It makes it easy with unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million-plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard to get started now. Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. Well, something that's very interesting to me is that at at the time of the, let's say the sort of, um, and it, and the term post punk is is interesting to me because some stuff that gets dis, gets labeled post punk, you know, predates punk in certain cases, you know, or at least you know, seems to point the way forward before the thing itself is defined 
Perubu, Perubu, for it, example, Chrome. Exa you know, exactly. Those are the people that, television, uh -huh. television blew our little minds. One of the best shows I ever saw, and I still remember it, was the pop group. And this is a count. This is worlds colliding. Perubu, the pop group at. Uh, would have been Rafters, Oxford Road, Manchester, 1978. Yeah. You were there, I was there with you, Eric. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. You know, yeah. We still, uh, and we still, we still, and I still remember it. And I love the fact that David Thomas actually came on stage with a hammer and a lump of metal. That's, metal. Well, that's what I call percussion. Well, yeah. I right, yeah, so feel my ear off that piece of metal, go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so so you're all you're all like you're all interested in in something that that very much diverges from the sort of rock and roll template, right? As as is sort of understood, and you're and you're drawing on experimental literature and you know Burroughs, as we've mentioned, and and film and yeah. uh, and visual arts, something that I think is is especially and it's like all over this versus album, right? Um, the juxtaposition and collaging of ideas remix as a as a kind of cultural force i think that remixing is and and the notion of remix is like when we're talking about the internet when we're talking about uh you know uh people rap rappers who've got five collaborators on a thing you know it, it there really is this sort of anarchic sense that like um a piece of art can be disassembled and reassembled, and that there is no definitive version of a thing. Totally, I preferred like the crap Xerox of a thing more than a thing. Yeah, and you know when exactly, they, yeah. when I, the Xerox art, you know, I re, I rem, I like stuff that's that's kind of processed, or even with my voice, I always try and have that kind of cinema verite CNN. It gives it a provenance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, and you kind of something up i can't stand you know what i hate more than anything else is like generic photoshop punk lettering i mean it makes me feel physically oh, sick yeah. anyway. no absolutely absolutely and and that was something that i found myself so i was like working on my notes and 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 um uh, a couple you know l last year lee scratch perry passed away lee scratch perry uh somebody who also factors heavily on the album and I was going back and I was reading um, the writer Eric Davis. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, he wrote a great book uh, a few years ago called High Weirdness. Um, and it was about Philip K. Dick and Terrence McKenna and Robert Anton Wilson. But I was reading something he wrote about about um, Lee, Scratch Perry. And he wrote that, that Dub calls the apparent authenticity of reggae into question because Dub destroys the holistic integrity of singer and song. He says, you know, there, there is no original, there is no first ground, there is no homeland. And what I was thinking about there was that there's sort of like a psycho-spiritual aspect to the idea of deconstruction and recontextualization that remixing opens up. There's almost a sacredness that comes from the idea that nothing is sacred. And I feel like if there is anything that we could throw as sort of like an overriding spirit of this post-punk movement that's taking place in these three towns that you guys are coming from, where you're separated geographically. But if there is anything that unites all of you, it seems to me, that sense, that there is nothing sacred, that everything can be 
destroyed and that by destroying it we might make something even more interesting and that is i wonder if maybe that's why 40 years later you guys all still get on the way you do because you share that sensibility well is is it is it einstein i think it's einstein's comment about energy which is exactly the same as what we're dealing with and uh, nothing is new nothing is invent what is it nothing is new nothing is invented everything is transformed yeah. And we're still in that bit of everything is transformed, you know, and nothing is new. We're always going to build on the, build on the bones of what's there before, and nothing is nothing is new. Nothing is lost. Everything is transformed, and we don't lose any of that. Everything is there, and I think the nice thing is to seek those things, still looking for them because nothing's lost, and everything's transformed. We change things. I love that idea of continual everything being in continual flux, and that's kind of nice when you think about it in that way. I've got a lyric I was working on the other day. All in the end is harvest. Mm. Same yeah. sentiment, Mark. Exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. it's what yeah. we draw on. It's it's not what's out there. It's what you do with it. You know what I mean? It's like you got bring all that. Yes. What when when you guys were getting started though? I mean, was uh let let's talk specifically maybe about um about like German German music, cosmic cosmic music. I mean, it's it's. It's it's called Krautrock. How do you guys feel about the term Krautrock? Uh, I like there's family German family bands. I like they all wear lederhosen and they play around the Zs. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time living in Germany. Schlager, you like? Oh, also, you like the Schlager? Uh, yeah, I love the, love the Schlager. <laughs> and also, I went to see Gorgio Moroder recently, right? And he was brilliant. His whole band was full of like Schlager musicians doing Donna Summer and Bowie, like cat people, a Schlager guys singing cat people. And they have little afternoon dances when they do Schlager. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, a little dance. <laughs> but did you know, and I hope we can play a little bit of it, did you know that Gorgia Moroder wrote the biggest influence ever on the pop group that we used to sing in the van all the time because we always used to um, have a sing-song in the very high voices. You couldn't be in the band unless you spoke in a very high voice. <laughs> <on the road. laughs> See, he wants to join the band. It's too late. Trippy, trippy, Tell trippy, Gareth I'm joining. by middle of the road. Where's uh, your papa gone? Where's your... Yeah, of course he did. Yeah, yeah. he did. Doggy and Moroder. He did, yeah. 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 Mental. I didn't... I didn't realize that. You know, hey, his... He wrote Trippy Cheap Cheap. Yeah. Yeah. My God. <laughs> his he, here here in america uh, growing up he the the chase uh from midnight midnight yeah, yeah, express brilliant. that was yeah. uh that was the that was the theme song or still is the theme song of coast to coast am which was like our conspiracy uh aliens paranormal late night radio show that art bell hosted so anytime i hear that i'm immediately transported back to some you know drive back from a, a pop punk show in 1999 in the desert and i remember listening to that am radio station hearing and that's what america became the conspiracy. yeah no i mean <laughs> who, whoever at, at some at some point i had to kind of like i, I had to lay off listening to that because it, it it stopped being a fun interesting thought experiment and started to just reflect my reality <laughs> and it became too rich don't go outside yeah exactly that's exactly I, mean, I reckon the reality the world in the last two years has become like that v series when you had to rip the face off the humans and see the aliens on earth so oh weird. yeah anyway. the, who knew that they live was a documentary yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> And it was based in Sheffield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but um <laughs> but but in terms of that sort of electronic experimentation um you know you've talked Eric, the best for this one. Eric can get Eric on this yeah. one, please. Yeah, in terms of that electronic experimentation, obviously, you know, we're living on this electronic frontier now, but in some sense, uh, it must have felt like that too in the early days for you, Eric, right? Well, it was. I mean, it was sort of, uh, although it was pre the, the sort of technology explosion, we were still sort of dealing with technologies that were new to us with, you know, things that were built in the 70s. So we were sort of, abusing them really rather than uh, using them i'd say because <laughs> we weren't we weren't i mean they were still they were still sort of built to basically to you know like to imitate in real instruments like you know wind instruments and violins and things like that most of the synthesizers or you know you'd get a manual with a synth and it'd show you how to create the sound of a violin which we you know we weren't really interested in doing that uh, we wanted to see what else was, you know, contained within these machines, really. Yeah. Because they did, they, they almost have a, you know, a, a lot of the old analog stuff has a life of its own once you, once you sort of really look into it and delve into it and open it up, it becomes something completely different. That's that's fascinating. And, and I think that that idea that, like, there's a sort of... Um the machine itself almost becomes a kind of collaborator, right? I mean, because it's doing something that you don't expect necessarily, but you don't know what to yeah. expect or what not to expect. So it's just reacting to what's happening in real time, right? Yeah. Are we moving into side effects now, are we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> the, the first Televoice gig we did was, uh, like, we put the th the, was three members playing, and we all had... Uh, Tamburg tape machines all linked together, real-to-real -to -real tape machines. And we were playing guitars and instruments through plugs directly into these tape machines and creating delays. We didn't have any effects or anything. They were all created by using tape. And, uh, you know, they'd be thinking, at one point we, we left the stage and was at the bar and there's people still watching this performance while no one's actually on stage. You know? <laughs> but, no, before, it's all what... But we'd only just done it, you know, seconds earlier. Yeah. And it was, you know, things were still reacting with each other and stuff for minutes after we came off stage, you know, and it's like the performance continued for quite a while, even though we weren't there anymore. Well, how did people react to that? Well, they stood and watched it, you know. <laughs> Confused. Yeah, I mean, probably, yeah, didn't know what was going on. Plus, we barricaded the stage, so you couldn't really see us anyway. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Obviously, you know, all of you were employing the technology of the day. Um, when you look back on it, was that spirit? Do you think that spirit of like, um, of sort of, uh, there is no right right way to do this? Um, was that was that an inspiring thing for for all three of you? I think totally. I had this saying that that. Uh, you know, there's the there's the arrogance of power, but we we've got the power of arrogance. <laughs> I mean, you know, and to be heretical, you could just That's you know at the time, yeah, yeah. We, you know, ju uh, just to reiterate what Eric said. I mean, as you're saying, Jason, we had the technology of the time, but we didn't actually. We didn't have the tech. It's really funny. I'm kind of always connected with you know, analog synthesizers and modular synthesizers. And I, cause I work in, I work, mm -hmm. you know, with Wrangler and use all that, but we didn't have any of that. 
we were like Eric. Our machines were tape recorders because we we didn't, you know, we had no money. We couldn't afford to go and buy since we weren't the human league and mine. <laughs> they had jobs and shit, you know. Yeah. So, we, so tape recorders were our machines, really, and and very important because not only were they things that captured sound, they were things that played back sound. They were things that you could use for processors. They we didn't go oh, we want synthesizers. They were just a way of generating a sound. And the tape recorders were the thing. You could make loops on them. And then when you got multi-tracks, you could make multi-track loops. So tape recorders were very much that rather than electronic. And then even when when we used to get, when we had enough money, you know, after the first couple of records came out and you buy synths and you go and get the Roland. The, you know, I used to love going and buying stuff with Kirky because you go and buy something and we take it back to Western Works to the studio, open it up, First thing you did, throw the fucking instructions in the bin. We won't be needing, <laughs> yeah. won't be needing those. Occasionally, and, you'd have to get it, you'd have to get the instructions back out again because there was a bit you, you were missing. But generally, no, the, the the you know it was like you never wanted to buy something and play it in the way that the person on you know not being rude, but someone who would like probably knew what they were doing. You go, oh, we don't want to sound like that. The first thing to do is throw away the instructions, so you can't sound like that. And then you figure out what the fuck to do with it. Yeah, I did that with my life. <laughs> <laughs> you got. I'm still a bit confused. You got rid of the instruction manual right away. What do you? Oh, yeah. Can you help? Have you got any time, Jason? Please. <laughs> Eric's Eric's had enough of me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what I what well I'm interested in 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 you know right now so much musical technology like you know off the rack go to the guitar center or whatever it is and and pick up a, a pedal or whatever so much musical technology now is wired specifically to create sounds kind of like what you guys invented on your own you know um tape delay is 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 an omnipresent uh, digital plugin you know everybody wants to add a little tape delay to to what they're doing um i wonder if 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 you find it um frustrating that so much uh, that that's that so much of uh, of the musical culture is focused on maybe backward looking things right now um at- it just becomes basically becomes what what they call a floating signifier it's just a trope Levi's. you know it's like the way that we picked up on on black magic or chaos magic is is it becomes disconnected from what it meant so it becomes interesting in itself sure which is in, which is quite bizarre. You get these things which are totally disconnected from the belief system that they erupted from. And again, it's... You know, I was looking at episto- the epistemology of the word magic, right? And ma- and magic and religion were virtually the same word. Re- anyway, it's... Well, we it's could go down... Very, you know, yeah, we could go down that road, and I... Uh, yeah, absolutely. But that... Because that, it, it is... It's fascinating, this idea of, of something sort of becoming... Well, when we go back again, there is nothing new under the sun necessarily, right? Like we're in, we're, no. we're reinventing what's already been. Yeah, we're just dis- we're yeah, we're discovering stuff that was lost in the libraries of Alexandria. You know, supposedly the Phoenicians had a magic wind. I'm reading about this crystal sun. I mean, you know, I'm I've been places. I'm sure. I'm sh- I'm sure. You know, there's play. You know, who knows, my friend. <laughs> 
how, how about you guys? Does this idea of sort of musical technology, like retro fetishism, you know, does is is that a, is that a frustrating thing, or is there is there still interesting things to be mined from? Well, we were just before punk, like Mally was saying, when they'd come down the King's Road, we were we were retro. We went to Shanana buying fifties clothes, you know. Yeah, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's nice when you make a mutation of something. Like mates of mine in Berlin were backwiring like Korean game machines to make music is, is if you're heretical towards the thing and you you know I, I, like on this versus thing i just i always I, it's either tucky or to toy story when they like took the head off a doll and put it on like a mechanical spider that kind of weird <laughs> thing of do, do you know what i mean oh, i know I, I, I love i know exactly what you're talking about yeah i love that that's proper that's proper kind of circuit you know circuit bending and uh, circuit breaking it's it's cool i just did a thing with three three kids last week three uh, three of my younger kids in brighton not young i mean they're like sort of 20 but they just did a performance on by completely circuit bending children's toys that they found in the street and got in junk shops totally rewired wired them taught themselves soldiering and then did this mental gig and it's like yeah that's fucking great that reinventing stuff from properly discarded stuff one of them came in with this child's <laughs> drum machine that was soaking wet because he'd found it out next to a bin in the street and it was like i sent them out to just buy shit i went go and buy a load of children's toys and shit that make noise and reinvent them that is that's i find that fun that idea of just making things your own that's proper kind there's of, the plan for the next record then. oh wow oh don't worry that's the new backing band <laughs> <laughs> no i'm 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 gonna rent eric's musicians he don't even have to be on the stage i'm on those tape machines yeah <laughs> but that's yeah. Fun. that's it that's what that's what you should do you know that that's that idea of if it's retro it should be properly fucking it up not paying homage to kind of people from the past it's it's paying it's using the kind of attitudes and the techniques of people from the past to make it rather than oh that's the sound that uh, let's make it sort of let's make it sound post-punk by fucking rinsing everything through a fuzz box or whatever oh. that's kind of a yeah, bit of a what i don't they, they, for some reason somebody said brushing your hair forward like i think i think it was ian curtis which now is like a sports direct look. It's a bit chat. <laughs> Supposedly that's post-punk and you get all these new people coming out and they're post-punk. I don't did you brush your hair forward, Eric? No, always backwards. I'm, I'm a backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a bit backwards, Eric. <laughs> Eric used to Eric always had one of the best quiffs going. It's proper yeah. pro, proper matinee idol. I love. Oh. I know. <laughs> Yeah, what, what Parrot said to me he, when Pat when when you when Parrot saw you just before lockdown when we you came to that thing he went Parrot the DJ from you know Funky Worm and and Sweet Exorcist he went fucking hell Mal he goes how come we all look like fucking shit and Eric never ages <laughs> there you go he's done a deal he's done a deal I think. he has yeah <laughs> well deal with collar and camel cigarettes I think. <laughs> <laughs> When when I when I look at when I look at I mean all all three of you still maintain uh, a, a a cool look you know um, we get that from Joe Orton <laughs> you know I, right now I'm 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 reading this this book called What Artists Wear and it's sort of just a look at 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 the um at that the power that our outward uh, appearance you know projects or. Or, or, or how often, you know, uh, 
we don't wear clothes, clothes wear us, that sort of idea, you know? Um, in those early days especially, um, did did you all feel uh, sort of a, a, a compulsion to stylistically and, and sort of sartorial break from the norms? I mean, I know in the... in the Clothes were more important than the music for me. I was more interested in the clothes than, than the music. Yeah, you know, yeah. when you were a kid, suddenly becoming like a mini teddy boy at the age of 11 or, <laughs> or seeing Andy Mackay dressed in a you know, a Teddy Boy's waistcoat or seeing Shanana or seeing, you know, yeah. Mink DeVille or whoever, the clothes are more important. And I'd, you know, I'd go and stand next to people that had cool pointy shoes on when I was young. Yeah. I mean, they were often like really violent sort of dockers or whatever, but I, my uncles were like Teddy Boys and bouncers and stuff. So I don't know. That's, that's the start. My uncle was in the Merchant Navy. He was one of the first person to have a pair of like Levi's in Bristol. Yeah. You know, in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, for, I'm more, if there's a clothes shop or a record shop, if there's like an old, old you know, it's got decent old clothes in there, I'll go in the clothes shop first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where, uh, Mark, you, you mentioned, you know, that you guys in, in the pop group, you, you were button, buttoning your top button, like all the way to, all the way. Totally. Yeah. What, 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 where was the inspiration for that coming from? Well, to, it's kind of a bit from Rambo. I mean, uh, uh, you know the poet, not Rambo. Not, not, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say. I, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I don't think Stallone's wearing a shirt in that movie very much, honestly. <laughs> the best of Stallone's mother, I find. Oh, oh she was brilliant. Like, what, 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 happened to, what happened to Sylvester Stallone's mother? She was brilliant. Wasn't she. She's a character. She's a. My mum's a bit like that. We did something at Trafalgar Square. My mum like barged in and started doing all the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but we got that from there was a band called Subway Sector. We really, really loved. I mean, they were they were ultimate post punk. I mean, they were they were managed by Bernie Rhodes who looked after the Clash, right? But Vic God on a Subway Sector, they were brilliant. Yeah, they yeah. looked like school, school yeah. jumpers. To, uh, did their top buttons up, right? So we got it from there, yeah, right. And then and then we're trying to wear grey. We all decided to wear grey. There was a sort of fashion shop. A, a lad who used to be in an Amon Corner at a place called Clobber in Bristol. I used to knock off school and hang around in there and got these like gray pegs off him and said, oh, do you want to manage us just to try and get dress up the band? You've always got to dress up musicians. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. And in, 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 unless, you know, the musicians have vacated, vacated can, the stage. Yeah, unless you can teach a model to play, which is quite difficult. I mean, Nick Kamen did all right. <laughs> Well, I, I, I want to ask one about one other potential influence on on the scene that the, the the three of you came from, which was Nick Kershaw. Nick Kershaw. Sorry, not yeah. Sorry, yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to ask about the influence of of the Velvet Underground. Uh, Eric, obviously, you went on to work with Nico. Um, uh, but but were were the Velvet Underground uh, an influence that's on? Where, and that's where we, I think that's where we, me and Mally first met. At, I put on yes, the show, a pop group show. Correct, it is. You're right. Yeah, um, Electric Ballroom. We, that's right in Camden. Yeah, yeah. That, what a what a night. We heard that we we heard that Nico was was a bit messed up in France or something. And they were going something was going on with her son or something. She hadn't played for ages. Yeah, and we were already talking to John Kale about producing Why. Mm. You know, I was still at school, but um, so we organised this concert, and it was for Amnesty International, and it was us. Linton Quasi Johnson, Nico, Cabaret Voltaire, and 
that's where I think that's where I first met Mally and Richard, right? And yeah. then Eric went on to work with Nico. You know, yeah, of course. I mean, Desert Shore is stunning. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we're we're yeah. Kale, Kale and Nico together is quite a yeah. follow. What what was the what, you know were uh, of the let's say you know American bands you know were were the VU one of the bands that sort of seemed to signal to the three of you what might be possible with the with the rock genre you know because the the VU were obviously a rock band in in one sense but very very uh, you know different still- in another you know. Yeah, I mean, Eric, Eric, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they, they were a, they were a, initially a rock band, but I think they were still they still had that you know that, that antagonism, you know, that, that wish to antagonize people and make people feel uncomfortable, even with with sound, which carried on, you know, into what we do. I think. Yeah, but I put an ad for the Bristol Evening Post. Whip man wanted for punk band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gerard Malinger. That's what Mally's going to do when we do live shows. Once this is a hit. Yeah, I'm going to come and do it now. <laughs> With he on the whip. Yeah. Well, the cat. I mean, the cabs for our first ever record extended play is just like a. It's the whole thing is a homage to the Velvets. We cover we cover the Velvets. Uh, right. a, we play Here She Comes Now, so that's a track on the EP. And the front cover, even though it is live in it, but it's it's a shot of us playing live. Um, it's the the point being is that we were trying to capture what Andy Warhol was doing at the exploding, you know, plastic inevitable. Our whole idea of what a gig should be was down to one thing, and that was at playing at. Us trying to be like you know the Velvets at the Dom, with all that psychedelic noise, minimalism, whatever it is, drones, everything. That's what that was it, all we wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. And Eric's shows are like that at the moment. When you know Eric puts as much effort, I think, into his visuals as he does into the music. Not knocking the music or anything, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't, I can't imagine one without the other, really. Well, yeah, and that's that's a fascinating thing because if. And I've just had an idea. If if the cabs covered the covered velvets, I'm going to cover suede or corduroy. Keep it like a you know, <laughs> it's a, it's keep, a material joke. Keep keep it fabric fabric based. Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's a club called Fabric. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> uh, were there any other American bands that were particularly uh, imp- the Stooges? I mean, Iggy. If you know, if it wasn't for Iggy, it wouldn't. Nothing would have happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The fact that Iggy is still making, you know, art and is still making music, you think about some of the people who, who you might, you know, he, Iggy, there always seemed to be this, like, I can't believe that he exists quality to him, right? You know, this sort of, this sort of, like, uh, indestructible quality. And then here he is all these years. He's still out here looking as, you know, taut and leathery and, and, and he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a role model for us all, you know, in, incredible, he's, incredible fella. He's, you know? he's, still, he's still a God. He's still a God to me. I mean, I also remember the best thing was when he played, it was a time when he was doing the idiot and he, did, he was doing that stuff. So it's later, later Iggy doing his stuff. And he played in Sheffield, uh, and when he finished, when he played the gig, he didn't go home. He, I think he had a hotel room, but he didn't bother going. He slept at my mate's girlfriend's house and just hung out. Uh, yeah. the big, and, but the best thing about it is 
he got up in the morning for breakfast. He had a tin of Guinness and a tablespoonful of mu English mustard. That's why the man's a fucking idol. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. 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 What a, what a top man. What's incredible about English mustard? Should it be in French? <laughs> Sorry. If, hey, if he'd have had Dijon, he was fucking dead to me. Dead to me. <laughs> Well, um, you know... I, we have to declare an interest. We are sponsored by Dijon Mustard. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Aquarian Mustard. Aquarian Mustard. I can see the graphics now. I've got you a deal, dude. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. We, uh, we're, we're desperate for sponsorship here. So uh, uh, if we can get some mustard, mustard uh, uh, gigs... If you can muster up, muster up. <laughs> Well, 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 guys. So I know that Stephen's going to have to to bounce, and and so to sort of wrap up, what I wanted to, what I wanted to ask was, uh, with things starting to look, you know, a little bit more uh, uh, um, open, it looks like we're probably going to be able to kind of sit, we're in the process of semi returning back to normal, whatever that is. Uh, Who wants to be normal? Yeah. Well, well, so so I wonder, are are the three are the are the <laughs> Good luck with that, mate. <laughs> Are the three of you working on uh, on on anything new together that uh, you could uh, sort of tip people to uh, coming uh, down the line? We, I'm sure we I'm sure we will. Mally and Eric have got quite a lot in the in the process. You've just done something with Silent Servant, haven't you? I love them, Mally. Yeah, yeah. Just did a track with one, and it's brilliant. I was really pleased with uh, how that worked, and one was so good. Uh, the it looked brilliant, and so just we'd be working with one. I've just done. I've been doing loads of stuff, so I'm still kind of busy. I've got an album out on Deus in Ju in July, so I'm going to be doing. Is that under Stephen Malander? It's under Stephen Malander. Yeah, I've made a record. I've made another record under my own name. Well, people kept saying. Well, look, well, my manager went, stop fucking obscuring yourself and using different names. Because yeah. So I went, oh, all right, then I'll do it. So I have done anyway, but then I'll go back. We're doing new creep shows. So, it's, so I'm, I'm still really busy. But, yeah, but, I mean, the, the point of this is that it what an opportunity to work with two of the people I've known and respected and loved for so long, working with Eric and Mark was brilliant. So uh, we will... And I'll tell you, let me just I'm, interrupt there quickly. I'll tell you what, Jason, I've... A friend of mine is getting the follow-up to Liquid Sky going with the original producer and the original actors, right? And that's why I was talking to Mally about soundtrack work or something. I would love to work with these two on, on the soundtrack of Liquid Sky. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Oh, that'd yeah, be, that'd be, that would be brilliant. That would be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's... <laughs> yeah, we... we and, and this is just a way of working. It's not just about oh, you work in isolation because of lockdown. The point is we're all busy and we now have the tools to work in a different way. And it's a, it's a good way to work and, and, it, and it's very democratic and it's also we're all able and to I, do And I honestly, I don't, Eric Random is one of the few people I trust with my, you know, I'm, I'm quite, I'm not going to use the word control freak, but I'm, I'm, I don't really let stuff out of my hands. I work with heavyweight people, but I'm always there right after the last minute, but I trust Eric's taste. I'm not sure about Mally's, but, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Neither do I. I'm with you on that one, yeah. <laughs> well, 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 thank you guys for hanging out and talking. And, you know, it's it's like, it's it's an absolute blast. And, and the fact that the three of you are as connected as you are and as um, energetic 
in terms of your rapport is is has been really really fun to experience and i thank you guys for taking the time to join us here on aquarium drunkard transmissions thank you so much thank you thank you, thank you. cheers uh, Thanks for listening to Transmissions. I know we have a ton of competition for your ears out there on the internet, so we're honored that you have opted to spend time listening to our program today. Again, you can support this podcast by checking out our Patreon page, uh, but you can also just uh, rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us a lot too and helps new people find the show. And of course, the benefit there is that you'll never miss a new episode. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Our show is executive produced by Aquarium Drunkard's founder, Justin Gage, and we are a part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Don't miss Justin's Aquarium Drunkard Show, which airs every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Sirius XMU. We'll be back with another new episode next Wednesday. Our show drops every Wednesday, but of course you can listen to it whenever you want. I'll be joined by Craig Finn of The Hold Steady, who stopped by to talk about his new record, A Legacy of Rentals, and his newly launched podcast, also a part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. It's called That's How I Remember It. I hope you will join us. It was a really, really great time getting to catch up with Craig. All right, speak soon. This transmission is concluded.